Well, hey, everybody, great to see you again. We had an amazing three weeks with What If the Church, and I got to preach other places, and those guys came here, did an amazing job, didn't they? I'm so thankful that we're moving in unity for God's glory with other churches in our city, kind of overcoming some of the traditional turf protection. We're saying, hey, one thing matters, the Great Commission, the redemption of men. And so uh, some of you have asked about this. We're actually trying to put together a worship service on a night for all of our churches to come together in one place at one time. Would that be awesome or what? That'd be exciting. So uh, more to follow on that. So we're getting ready this summer for a series for the book of James. So I like to do a verse-by-verse study uh, on Sunday morning at least once a year. Right now we're doing Revelation 4.30 in the core. That starts back today at 4.30. Uh, but on Sunday morning, we're going to start doing the book of James in a few weeks. So if you want to start reading through James, kind of familiarize yourself with that book, then you'll be ready when we launch. But for the next three weeks, I want to do something, just a short three-week series. And it's going to be more than a parenting series. I did the Castle series last fall. It was kind of on marriage and family. Not going to repeat that. But why this matters so much is we're launching a brand new paradigm of ministry, a brand new model of ministry For the first time ever, we'll call it the Abundant Life Family Ministry. And you need to listen carefully because it's something we've never done before. I'm gonna be sharing about it this week and next week on Father's Day as we begin a new ministry. Uh, And it's gonna be more than ministry to children. Children's ministry at Abundant Life is gonna be increasingly ministry to their parents. And that's what we're talking about. Deuteronomy chapter six, if you have your Bible, Deuteronomy chapter six, look at what it says. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 1, it says this. It says, now, this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you're crossing over to possess. Now, the Lord is writing this to the ancient Hebrews right on the brink of crossing the Jordan into the promised land. God said this land that flowed with milk and honey, and he is preparing them to succeed in this land. Understand, at the time, this land was full of pagan people. This land was full of idolatry, and this land was full of people that did not believe in the true and living God, but rather they had multiple, multiple gods. And so God is giving them some direction as they're crossing over into the land about how they can lay a foundation that would last for generations. Now look at what it says here in verse 2. God says that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes. Friends, listen carefully. I'm convinced the number one problem we face as a nation is this right here. There's no fear of the Lord any longer in this land. You see, what is the fear of the Lord? It doesn't mean that we are scared of God, but rather the fear of the Lord means that our hearts are postured before God in submission, that we have hearts of humility before God's authority. Understand, we live at a time where more knowledge is accessible than ever, but understand, Proverbs 9 and verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, Psalm 111 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let me ask you, do you want knowledge or do you want wisdom? See, this world is full of knowledge. I mean, the age of technology, there's been an information explosion. Knowledge is not the problem. What is lacking in this land is not knowledge, but wisdom. And the reason why we lack wisdom is because we lack the fear of the Lord. Let me ask you, have you come today for the wisdom from God's word or just more knowledge of God? Let me ask you, do you wanna really know God? Because see, they're not the same thing. And he was saying the number one thing is you get ready to cross over into this land of idolatry where you're going to mix among people. Listen, increasingly as Christians in this nation, 
As our society changes, we are increasingly becoming an anomaly. There was a time in this nation that Christianity was mainstream, but it's not mainstream like it used to be mainstream. Increasingly, those of us that name the name of Jesus, we're gonna be seen increasingly as an anomaly because our society is becoming more secular. In essence, it's becoming increasingly like the land that these ancient Hebrews were crossing over into. And understand, this is exactly how the New Testament describes each of us as Christians. Over and over again, the New Testament says that we are strangers, that we are foreigners, that we are aliens in this land. In other words, this world is not our home, we're just a passing through. And as we become increasingly a society that is less and less Christian, then what that means is this applies more and more to me and you. You see, this world is not our home. We are just passing through, but we are as Christians having a promised land. Check this out. God says, you want to inherit this land that flows with milk and honey in some kind of way, what we call life abundantly. It's going to take a heart, first of all, of humility. That's the fear of the Lord. And when you have a heart before God of humility, you will naturally live obediently. And as you live obediently, you start living life abundantly. And that is the promised land of the believer, a life that flows with milk and honey. And that's exactly what God is now telling these ancient Israelites. He says, if you have the fear of the Lord, you're going to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you. Now look at this. You and your son and your grandson all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. I want you to notice what God is saying here. To the ancient people of God, as I'm convinced he is saying now today, to these people of God, he says, God has charged every generation with the responsibility to pass on the faith to the next generation. You see, God was telling those ancient Hebrews, it is the responsibility of every mother to pass on the faith to her daughters, and that daughter to one thigh uh, pass on the faith to her daughters. It's the responsibility of every father to pass on the faith to their sons, and one day that son himself will be a father, and it's his responsibility to pass on the faith to his son, your children, your grandchildren. But you see, this is the problem, I'm convinced. When you look at the news today, and you look at so much chaos and confusion, what is the problem? We see a nation who's quite frankly a foundation is in erosion. Now why is the foundation of our nation in erosion? I'm convinced the problem is right here. We failed from one generation to pass on the faith to the next generation, and that generation failed to pass on the faith to the next generation, and that is why our nation is increasingly becoming less and less Christian. Uh, social scientists all agree, roughly the statistics look something like this. The World War II generation was largely 64% Christian in their worldview, meaning 64% of those that are included in the World War II generation had what we call a Christian worldview. In other words, they viewed the world through the lens of what it really means to be a Christian. Now here's the problem. They won the war in Europe, they won the war in the Pacific, but they lost the war at home. You see, they gave birth to the baby boomer generation. And the stats about the baby boomer generation says that while their moms and dads, 64% had a Christian worldview, the baby boomers only today have 32% with a Christian worldview. Now the baby boomers gave birth to my generation, Generation Xers. And while the baby boomers had 32% of them with a Christian worldview, my generation, Generation X, about 16% have a Christian worldview. Now my generation, Generation X, gave birth to uh, millennials, the millennial generation. The millennial generation, about 4% have truly a Christian worldview. 
And so you can start to see what has happened in our nation. And God was warning this ancient nation of Israel who were God's people by covenant. Listen, the only hope you have to last as a nation is if you don't let that foundation begin to be in a place of erosion. You must pass your faith on to the next generation. And that's what he's now saying here. It's the responsibility of every mom and dad to pass on the faith to their sons and daughters. Listen, it does not begin in the church house. It begins in our house. You see, nobody like a parent has access to the heart of that son or daughter, not your children's pastors. Parents have access to that child's heart. And what we're seeing is we have to take personal responsibility as parents for the development and discipleship of our children. We're passing on all kinds of things, but we're not passing on the main thing. I have a confession. I just need to get this off my chest, okay? So here's an admission I just need to share. Yesterday morning, Saturday morning, I try to get around slow on Saturday morning, kind of veg a little bit. So I get up, sitting in my chair, decide to flip on the TV a little bit before I get my day rolling. I kind of like History Channel, so I always first go to history, see what's on history. Swamp people. <laughs> I just have to admit, I watched an hour of swamp people. Okay, now, I, I've admitted it, okay? Completely frivolous, empty entertainment. And it was entertaining, I admit it least for an hour. So they're, 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 they're you know, swamp people. The show's about alligator hunting, but then I realized after watching, it's not so much about alligator hunting in the swamps of South Louisiana. It's about moms and dads passing on their way of life to the next generation and this virtual reality kind of TV show. So the cameras fall around a mother and daughter who are alligating hunting together. I mean, this was amazing. This is my kind of woman. I mean, she is a man's woman. I mean, South Louisiana, where the men are men, are some of the women. She got a 357 Magnum on her hip. Big piece of chaw right here. And no front teeth. That's right, man, they don't make women like this anymore. So here, here she, her goal is to pass on this way of life to her daughter. Uh, and then you have uh, fathers and their, their sons, and they go out alligator hunting together. And, and uh, what they say is this way of life has been in existence for 300 years, and the goal of this generation is to pass it on to the next generation. I sat there thinking, we're passing on alligator hunting to the next generation, but we're not passing on Jesus. You see, we're passing on our hobbies to the next generation. Uh, my two boys grew up to be passionate, unapologetic Kansas fans. Where did they get that from? They got that from their father. That's a learned passion. See, we pass on our sports teams, we pass on our hobbies, we pass on our passion, but we're not passing on the faith to the next generation. We're not passing on the things that really matter, the things that really last forever. And this is what happened in Israel. When you open up the book of Judges, 
Several generations later, it says there was a new generation who knew not the Lord, nor remembered the mighty works of him. And it says in those days, there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. And I would suggest that you and I today are living in the days of the judges. If you go back and study the ancient pattern and the growth cycle of Israel, there was a day that they lived in God's blessing, that they lived obediently before the God of heaven. And there was a generation that passed on the faith to the next generation but there came a day that there was a new generation that did not know the Lord because the previous generation had failed to pass on the faith to that generation. So now there was no king in Israel. Listen, we're living in a time of anarchy because we're not living in the fear of the Lord, submitted to God's authority, and consequently we live at a time where we have sowed to the wind and we're now reaping a whirlwind. The foundation is in erosion because one generation failed to reach the next. And that is what is at stake for moms and dads. Listen, I don't really care in the end who my children root for. I mean, I gave lots of money to the University of Missouri for my son to go there. It goes to show how much a father will do for a son. I never dreamed. In the end, I don't care who his team is. I just care who his God is, who his Savior is. You see, that's what's going on here. Now listen, God has given parents the primary responsibility for the spiritual development and discipleship of their children. You see, it's not in the church house, but rather in our house. The primary responsibility is not back there in the kid's wing when you drop them off and let the paid professionals disciple your children. No, that should be a reinforcement, but not a replacement. You see, when you look in scripture from the earliest days of how to pass on the faith to the next generation, it is not by the paid profession, it's about parents taking personal responsibility to disciple and develop their children spiritually. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through verse nine is what is known as the Shema. It is a prayer that Orthodox Jews will pray daily, even today. It is a prayer of allegiance where in essence every day they are declaring their loyalty to the true and living God of heaven. It's called the Shema because the Hebrew word for hear is Shema. It says Shema, hear, O Israel. God is in essence saying, listen, O Israel. Let me ask you, are you listening to God? Because that's what he's saying here, listen to God your Father. He says, listen, O Israel, hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, why would God state that as they're crossing over into this pagan land? Because the people they're about to you know, mix it up with are people that believe that all roads lead to heaven, multiple gods are the true and living God. That's called pluralistic theology. Now, can you start to see why this is so relevant to your life and mine today in the 21st century? I've heard people say, well, America's becoming a godless nation. No, it's not. That is not the problem in America. We're not becoming a godless nation. We're becoming a nation of many gods. You see the difference? See, these pagan people had many gods, and we hear it today. Our children are being raised this way to believe that Jesus, Buddha, Allah, it doesn't matter. It's all the same. Any God will do. Just pick a God. All roads lead to heaven. All religions will get you there. And he is saying, listen, O Christian, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's only one true and living God. His name is Jesus, John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is not a way, he's the way. 
Yet we're living at a time where our kids are being taught something completely different. Jim West from Colonial a week ago mentioned that he's a recovering liberal. Let me explain what he meant by that. He doesn't mean recovering liberal politically. I don't know anything about his politics. He meant recovering liberal theologically. A lot of you don't know what that means. What is liberal theology? He went to a liberal seminary. That's where he got his theology, Princeton. Liberal theology says that this book called the Bible, it is not the word of God. At best, it contains the word of God. So you pick and choose what is the word of God to you, and you leave out what you don't think applies to you. It's kind of a cut-and-paste theology, a salad bar mentality. That's liberal theology. Liberal theology says that Jesus is at best a way, but he is certainly not the only way. I mean, he may be my way, but there's certainly a lot of other ways. Now, that liberal theology has permeated eight out of ten churches in America. Do you understand that as the church goes, so goes the nation? Whatever begins in the pulpit ends up in the pews. And you see what happens eventually is we fail to pass on the faith to the next generation. So consequently, because of this liberal theology, it's indeed become a pluralistic society where any God will do. This is why it begins. He's saying to these ancient parents of these ancient Hebrews, begin by teaching your children this, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In this world of many gods, there's but one true and living God. He's the one that came down from heaven. He bore our sin and our our shame and our blame. He's the only one that ever died for your sin. Buddha didn't do that. Hala didn't do that. He's the only one that rose again. He proved indeed he really is deity, the second person of the Trinity. The sinless son of God came like the sons of men. He died for our sins so the sons of men could be forgiven and become like him. What other God did that for you? He has no equal. He's saying to these ancient Hebrews like he's now seeing to me and you, I have no equal. Now, look at what goes on, the Shema. They, they will pray this daily. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gate. Now, I don't know if you were noticing this or not, but twice God mentions the heart. You shall write them on your heart. You see, the problem for the human being is always a problem of the human heart. The problem is not with the head, the problem is the heart. God, you see, says the heart is the heart of the problem. When your heart is postured before God in humility or your heart is postured before him in rebellion, it will define your destination. Now, I want you to notice twice he mentions the heart and twice he mentions the house. You know what God is teaching? He's teaching the heart of the most important part of the human being, and God knows a child's heart is developed in their house, not the church house, but your house. You see, the heart is shaped in one's home. And this one I'm about to share with you, a brand new model of ministry, family ministry, not just children's ministry, because I'm convinced the very best the church can do is affect your child's head, but the church cannot affect your child's heart. You see, your children's pastor can access this, but they cannot really access this. Guess who can access this? It's parents. You have access to your child's heart like no one else can. And the heart is the most important part of the human being. 
This is why I, I taught my children this from the early days. One of my verses personally, I think of often, Proverbs 4, 23, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. You know what that's teaching? The life you live outwardly will always be a reflection of your heart condition inwardly. The life you live above the surface that others can see will be a reflection of the life you live below the surface that nobody else can see. You see, just like a spring of water is pure and clean above the surface, only if it's pure and clean below the surface, he's saying, listen, your heart will affect your future. Your heart will define whether or not you live in this promised land that flows with milk and honey. I mean, if you live life abundantly, it's because you have a heart of humility and you're submitted to God's authority. He's saying, listen, no one like the parent in your home can begin to shape the heart of that human being. The most important part of parenting, listen, it's learning to shepherd your child's heart. And sometimes, honestly, as parents, as Christian parents especially, we think that we could force feed our children Bible verses, and we thought that we could cram the Bible down their throat, and somehow if we filled their head with all this knowledge about God, it would transform their heart into a heart that loves God. And sometimes we succeeded, and sometimes we didn't. I'm trying to tell you here today that the heart is the most important part of your child's development. Do you understand the human heart is your moral conscience? When the Bible talks about the heart, it's almost never talking about this muscle beating blood throughout your body. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's not talking about this, it's talking about your soul. The soul is that part of you where you make your moral decisions. The soul is that part of you where you define your moral convictions. The soul is that part of you that shapes your worldview, that shapes your values. We're talking about your character. We're talking about your deepest held convictions. That's your heart. That's your soul. And you begin to see why the heart is the heart of the problem and the heart of the issue. Uh, child psychologists and psychiatrists, they, they, all, they all tell us the same thing. Like we needed a PhD to tell us this, all right? We, we knew this kind of intrinsically anyway. Who we are as human beings, in terms of what we believe, our most deeply held beliefs that will shape who we are and what we do pretty much done by the time we're 10. By the time that little boy, little girl is 10 years of age, in terms of their worldview, how they view the world, how they view themselves, pretty much is shaped by the time you're 10. You begin to see why God says, hey, it begins in our house. It doesn't begin in the church house. It, it happens when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Do you hear what he's saying? It's more caught than it's taught. It's not what we do with our lips. It's how we live our life. It's when you're doing life with your children. That's when it's happening. And so what we're learning here is that God knows it's the home that has the most to do with shaping the heart. Now look at what he says here uh, in verses four through five. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Now remember, this is the very passage that Jesus uh, spoke from. In Matthew 22, when they came and asked him, they said, what is the most important commandment of all the commandments of these and the thous, the do's and the don'ts, Jesus, what is the most important thing? And he quotes from this very place. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now, why is that so crucial to God? Listen carefully. God knows if you just do this one thing, you love God, all the other things will take care of itself. This is the number one thing in your life and my life. 
If we just do this one thing, Jesus called it the first and great commandment, we will naturally keep all the other commandments if we keep this commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Here's the deal, you cannot sin against God if you love God. If you love God, you won't sin against God. And the times you sin against God, the problem is you love yourself more than you love God. You see, that's why it's called the great commandment of which all the other commandments hinge. And this is where it happens in our children's life. If they're going to know God and grow to love God and develop a heart for God, it begins in the home. It's in the home that affects the heart. It's in the home that we introduce them to who God is. Do you understand that that little bitty child, he looks at his mama and daddy, and when he looks at his mama and daddy, he is shaping his view of who God is. You know why? Because to a little child, you are God. To a little child, you're all powerful. To a little child, you're all-knowing. To a little child, you're all-wise. And so consequently, it's in the home where they are shaping their view of God that may last a lifetime. I'm telling you, when a father is mean and abusive, they grow up with this idea of God as a father is mean and abusive. When you've got a father who, quite frankly, is there geographically, but he's checked out emotionally, he's checked out relationally, then their view of God is that he is some distant father that doesn't really care, that can't really be known, he's not really there. When you've got a weak father, quite frankly, and the children walk all over him and pull his strings and manipulate him, they don't learn, I need to walk in fear of God my Father. Like, I don't need to take him seriously. I never had to take that guy seriously. You see what's happening sometimes unwittingly? It's in the home that the heart is being shaped. God says, if you just do this one thing, love God, everything else will take care of itself. Uh, I've talked about my family over the years at times, I don't know how to preach into your life without talking some about my life. And I did this Castle series last fall. It was a family and marriage series and I did a lot of parenting in that series. I'm not gonna repeat that in this series but I was honest in that series. Lest you should think that I have been a perfect father and I've had a perfect family. I'm not gonna let you believe that, okay? because I wasn't a perfect father, I didn't have a perfect family, and I'm gonna tell you, by the time my oldest son, Jake, uh, went to the University of Missouri, uh, before he saw the light, got his life right with God, and transferred to Arkansas, <laughs> where he is when we went down to see him, um, I'm gonna tell you, it wasn't easy. And there were times, honestly, I felt like the biggest hypocrite as a father. I felt like, quite frankly, I was failing as a father. There were times I almost went into a panic mode because I was afraid I'm losing my son. Like, you know, maybe he's gonna walk away from the faith, honestly. And I was honest with you last fall about that because what I'm about to share, I don't want you to think like, oh, Phil, you've got a perfect life, you've been a perfect parent, you've got perfect children. Nobody is perfect. And even when we know what is right and we do what is right, when it comes to our kids, it's not a guarantee that it won't still turn out wrong. You know why? Because we're not raising robots, we're raising human beings with personal wills and a free will that they will exercise on their own for God or against God. So uh, we're relaxing here on the back porch of a restaurant we were eating at and we went to see Jake a while back and uh, I recently married him, as most of you know, uh, conducted his ceremony, I should say I didn't actually marry him. That would have been <laughs> weird. But uh, I did the ceremony. I mean, you talk about a proud moment for a dad, honestly. 
to uh, be there when your son takes a bride, and it's just awesome to be at that stage of life where you can see that reproduction. Everything you poured into them, now they start to turn around, pour it into another. Remember your sons and your grandsons, right? But he said something, and I wish I could bottle it up, because for me at the time, that was like affirmation that everything was worth it, all the hardship, at times the heartbreak, it was all worth it. You know what he said? When he went off to Columbia and I dropped him off at school four years ago, he was not in a great place spiritually. He wasn't. He was like right on the brink of going one way or the other and I wasn't sure at the time how it was gonna end. You know what he said? He said, Dad, the only thing that kept me from going off into the party scene and all the stuff that comes with it on a secular college campus, the sleeping around, the getting drunk, the party a different night, I mean, all the stuff that goes on with it. He said, the only thing that kept me from doing that was my love for you, and I didn't want to shame you. And I thought to myself, do you know that is what God our Father wants? That's all he wants from us. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You see, when you love God, you don't want to defame him. You don't want to shame him. I want my life to glorify him. And that's what keeps you then from sin. It's not the rules, it's not the regulations, it's your love relationship, it's not your religion. It's that you are so thankful for your redemption that you wanna glorify him and you choose that over your sin. And you see, that is what God knows. If we can just get our children to grow up to know God so they love God, and to know him is to love him. Someone that doesn't love God is because they don't know him. And it's the home where they grow to know him, so eventually they grow up to love him. So now they don't want to sin against him. They don't want to shame him. You see, it's with the heart that our children grow to know and love the Father. And if they grow to know and love the Father, the rest of their life will prosper. It's the number one thing we can do for them. Matthew 6, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Now listen, we spend so much energy and we give so much passion to helping our children learn how to throw a football, in some cases kick a soccer ball, in some cases shoot a basketball, and I'm trying to tell you today, Satan does not care how many home runs your kid hits this year. He does not care how many goals she kicks this year. He does not care how many ribbons she wears or trophies he wins. The one thing Satan is threatened by is that your child might grow up to know and love God. So what are you gonna do about that? I'm not against sports. Listen, I played sports at a very high level. I love sports to this day, but it has become an idol. It has become a false god in our society. That we think our children, I mean, if they can just do a little better, if they could just get on the right team, I mean, they need to be on this competitive team, and we need to follow this team around to who knows how many different places in one summer. I mean, do you understand what we're doing in some cases unwittingly? It's not that this is bad, but Satan will take anything to distract you from the main thing. And that is what is at stake, and that's why it's crucial that we leverage the moment. Now, here's the deal. The church can teach a child the knowledge of God, but it's in the home where they develop a heart for God. See, the best our children's pastors can do is affect this, but only you have access to this. 
And for far too long, we thought that if we gave a child head knowledge, it would eventually become heart knowledge. And what God says throughout Scripture is the heart is the heart of the problem. What's it say in Romans 10, 9, and 10? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your head, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For at the heart man believes unto righteousness is not that you believe with your head. Jesus is not just another academic subject. Listen carefully. The church can affect the head, but it's in the home that affects their heart. And the reason why is obvious. Now, this gumball machine came out of our kid's wing. And I guarantee those kids are having a lot of fun learning about Jesus back there, and you can see why. I mean, it's a fun place to be. What you have here in these gumballs, all these gumballs represent the total number of hours that you have with your child every month. Now, these gumballs you don't have access to. These are hours that you can't touch. You don't have access to them. You know why? Because this is eight hours a night sleeping, eight hours a night at school. Even you as a parent can't access these hours. That leaves you. Take these out. That leaves you with about 250 gumballs. This is why we called this series 250 to 3. Because on average, per month, you've got 250 hours that you can access with your children. If you don't use them, you will lose them. Now listen, good parents give their children attention. Great parents give their children intention. It takes intention to pass on the faith to the next generation. You've got about 250 hours a month that you can leverage, not just for good times as a family, but that you can really reproduce something that will last for eternity. You've got about 250 hours altogether per month with your children. How will you use them? It's how you use them that will begin to shape their heart for God or begin to shape their heart for something else that doesn't matter, that doesn't really last forever. Now, you've got 250 hours a month with your child. How much does the church have? On average, at best, the church has one hour. Two hours. Three hours. That's it. Who do you think can do a better job spiritually developing and discipling your children? Now the reality is we've run the data in our kids' wing. There's over 2,000 children, sixth grade or below, that comes to church at Abundant Life. And 62% of them are only here half the time. So it may be even less. What I know is this, the American way of life is getting busier for every family. Now this is no small discussion among church leaders. How do we do ministry when families are only here half the time? I mean, we had limited access before, now we have even less. There's got to be a way to do ministry beyond the walls. And I would suggest to you just maybe that's always been the primary responsibility. That's always been the primary place. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk, shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and you, and you, you, you pray with them before they go to bed and you read them that bedtime Bible story and when you rise up, meaning you pray with them before you put them on the bus. 
You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Now look at that, frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now what does it mean to be frontlets between the eyes? In other words, the word of God, the statutes of God, the things that God says, they should be as frontlets between the eyes. Now, the apostle Paul said the problem for the Hebrews is they had the letter of the law, they didn't understand the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is that the word of God would be the primary focus in their life, frontlets between the eyes, a laser focus on God and the word of God and what God says. The problem is they got the letter of the law instead of the spirit of the law. This is an Orthodox Jew. If you go on the Holy Land tour with us next March, you're gonna see a lot of Orthodox Jews. They wear a prayer box between their eyes. You know what's in that prayer box? It's the Shema, a little scroll they have rolled up of Deuteronomy 6, four through nine. You see it says it's frontless between the eyes and so they take it seriously, they take it literally. Now here's the problem. Many of us would think, oh we would never do that. Yet that's exactly what we've done. My wife was raised in a denominational tradition that when she reached a certain age as a little girl, she memorized all the creeds, she memorized all the catechisms, she went through confirmation, she memorized 300 Bible verses to pass through confirmation. She would tell you today, she had all the knowledge in her head, it did not transform her heart. She didn't know for years later what it really meant to be born again, to have a relationship with him, to really know what it means to walk in redemption. It was just empty religion, it was just going through the motions. Now, in my denominational tradition, it was something called Royal Ambassadors and later Awana. And we memorized hundreds of Bible verses. And what I'm trying to say today is none of that is bad. None of that was wrong. But listen carefully. It is not enough to simply get children to regurgitate facts about God. It is not merely to fill their head with the knowledge of God. If the knowledge of God never begin to affect their heart for God. And that is what has happened over and over in Christian families. We thought that we could force feed children facts about God. And then they would grow up to know and love God. And I've been at this long enough now. I'm in my 19th year of ministry, and I've been able to watch children grow up in this church from the time they were a toddler, and now they're in their 20s, and they went through all the programs. They did everything we said they ought to do, and in some cases today, they indeed are walking with Jesus. They're on passion and living on mission, and in other cases, they could care less about God. Because everything we put in their head never affected the heart. And that is why we're beginning something new. Children's ministry at Abundant Life is gonna become more than ministry to children. It's going to become ministry to families, ministries to moms, ministries to dads. At very best, we've got three hours a week with your children at the very best, and that's getting harder than ever. You know why? Because families are busier than ever. And in some cases, people drive farther than ever. And the traditional church model says you gotta come here at this place and this time if you want ministered to. Those days are over. Life is changing in America, and the church has to change with it. I want you to read this. The traditional church is the consumer church. The missional church is the church we are becoming. Read this with me. Watch this. Not trying to hide anything about what we're doing. I want you to know exactly 
what we're trying to do and why. The consumer church historically, church is seen as a dispenser of religious goods and services. People come to church to be fed, to have their needs met through quality programs and to have the professionals teach their children about God. The missional church says this, a body of people sent on mission who gather in community for worship, community encouragement, and teaching from the word in addition to what they are self-feeding themselves throughout the week. One says, I go to church. The other says, I am the church. This is what we're becoming. This is what we have to be. And part of the reason why is quite frankly, American life is changing. And uh, people are busier than ever. Most church people that are committed to church are only here half the time anyway. So we've got to figure out how to minister to people beyond the walls of the church, not in the traditional way, but in the missional way, meaning you get to access ministry of abundant life for your family and not necessarily because you come every week on a Wednesday night. Because some of you can't keep coming on Wednesday night. It's all you can do to get here on Sundays. Honestly, you're just that busy. And here's the deal, church leaders like myself, we don't have to like it and we can fight against it and we can cuss it. Well, we don't cuss, but we discuss it. But the reality is we've gotta embrace it. American culture's changing, church has to change too. And so the idea that you gotta come at this place at this time or whatever time, here's the deal. You've got time in your life for two things. I know that about you. You've got time in your life for two things related to church every week, that's it. Church on Sunday morning is essential to your family. This is an essential time. I'm gonna talk more about why next week. Corporate worship. This is essential. You got time for one more thing and that's it, group. These groups we talk about, they're the number one thing outside of this thing. Because it's in that small group, that relational community, the thing you're going to do here as a missional community, we're gonna raise your family together with other families like you, trying to do the same thing in those children, what you're trying to do with your children. That's how you're gonna grow spiritually. That's the true method relationally, is not gathering exclusively corporately. Though that's important too. Now here's the deal, what that means is, you got time for those two things, that's it. I'm starting Revelation 4.30 once again. We're here in the core, I'd love for you to be there. But if you can't be there, be at your group. Traditionally what we said is be here on Sunday morning, do group somewhere too, come back on Wednesday night also. We're not gonna do that anymore. We're not taking away your Wednesday night, we're giving back your Wednesday night. We wanna give back Wednesday night to our families to have family time. Here's what we're gonna do starting this fall. Ministry to children is going to be on the walls of our church because we're serious about raising up the next generation to live on mission for the kingdom. It's not just gonna happen here in our house, the church house. It's gonna happen there in your house, the Smith house, the Jones house. All parents who sign up are gonna receive a weekly teaching curriculum, video lessons, creative interactive illustrations to be used that week to reinforce the teaching each child receives on that previous Sunday morning during Journey Kids. Our kids pastors, our family pastors, listen, the way kids are accessing information today has changed. It's called Kids YouTube. 
and they're gonna put together a weekly video lesson. It's gonna be fun, creative, interactive, something you can download for your kids that you can watch with them wherever you are, whenever you want. It's gonna be a curriculum now that you can take and reinforce what they've learned on a Sunday morning, not just affecting the head, but as a parent, shaping their heart. And I'm gonna tell you, we're gonna do what we do back here on Sunday morning better than ever. Hey, we've created a fun place for kids to come. And I'm telling you why we're committed to having a fun place for kids to come, because we don't get more points with God if we're bored. Like, let's torture ourselves at church. God will love me more. No, he won't, okay? I'm telling you guys, I was raised in church. I'm telling you, I was drugged as a child. I was drugged bad as a child. My mama drugged me to church Sunday morning, drugged me to church Sunday night, drugged me to church Wednesday night. Guess why she had to drug me? Because I hated it. It was so boring. I was so bored. I mean, I was actually happy when I would wake up sick on a Sunday morning. You know why? Because I was gonna get to stay home and watch The Lone Ranger and Cisco Kid. And it was the only time it played all week long, Sunday mornings. It was awesome. I'm sick. I remember my brother one morning, he actually held a thermometer underneath a hot water faucet. And he was gonna get out of going to church. So my mom looked at the thermometer, it said 108. He should have been dead. At that point, you know, he's putting on tie on and she's dragging us to church again. People ask sometimes, well, Pastor Phil, my kids don't wanna come to church. Should I make them come to church? Of course. You better make them come. They don't want, kids don't want to come to church. They want to go play. They're like I was. I'm telling you today, I'm here today probably because my mama made me go to church. Of course you ought to make them go to church. Who's running who here? Who's parenting who here? Who's leading who here? That's right, mamas and daddies leading their children, not the other way around. And here's the deal, it's gonna be fun. We want it to be interactive and it's awesome back there, but that alone is insufficient, it is not enough. We're going to equip you, we're going to coach you, we're gonna give you the tools. And our goal through this family ministry is that every parent has at least one faith talk a week with their children, either as a family or in a small group. What I hope, a lot of you are already in groups, you're with other people of similar age, with children of similar age, it'd be something you can do as a group. I'm gonna talk next week about how important my children was being in a group, raising them with other kids and other parents, going the same way, doing the same thing. And that was part of the equation. If you're in a group now with kids of like age with your kids, it may be that one week daddies do the lesson, mamas have their mama time. The next week, mamas do the lesson, daddies have the daddy time. Right? I don't know what it looks like. That may be one option. For some of you, you're not in a group. This is family time. It may mean that you bring your middle schooler to Fusion. Fusion is staying here. Fusion for middle school and high school, Wednesday nights. Journey Kids Live. Children's programming on Wednesday nights is going away. We're giving Wednesday night back to you. You know why? Because we think you can do a better job discipling your kids with that time than if we did it on our time. So for some of you, honestly, bring your middle school refusion, then you need to go have an ice cream with your grade schoolers and do this lesson with them. Make it fun. I was terrible at this as a dad trying to have family devotions. Here I'm Pastor Phil, I'm a failure in my own home. Can I tell you why? Because my kids had already been to church. They didn't want to go again. Make it fun. Make it something they look forward to. Family time once a week. We're gonna figure out when. 
We're gonna give you the tools to succeed, having that faith talk once a week where you are reinforcing what they've already learned on Sunday morning, but now you're reinforcing not just the head, but you're reinforcing the heart. All parents will have regular opportunities for coaching and equipping by our children's and family pastors ongoing. Opportunity to take personal responsibility, to pass on the faith to the next generation. Ministry beyond the walls of the church, not just in our house, but in your house. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for every person here, God in heaven. I pray for our children, our sons, our daughters, our grandsons, our granddaughters. God, I pray for all the prodigals that they would find their way home. I pray for all the mamas and daddies that can be so overwhelmed with responsibility. God, I know what it's like. God, we all go through the same stuff. We're all made of the same stuff. And I pray, Lord, each of them would not grow weary in well-doing for you promised in due season. Lord, we shall reap if we faint not. I pray for this new family ministry that it would be forever life-changing. That each family would leverage personally in some way these 250 hours a month. And the time is forever ticking. God, help us to leverage the time on behalf of our sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give Jesus the glory with me today? Praise him, would you? Guys, I love you so much, and we want nothing less than your complete success. We love your family. We love your children. And we want to partner with you for years to come. God bless you. Have a really, really awesome day. Have a great Sunday.